Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton. Take your Bible this Sunday morning and turn with me to the book of John, if you would. John chapter 1. I want to speak to you this morning on a subject that's close and dear to my heart. It's a subject of encouragement. Be encouraged. In case you haven't noticed, the world's lost its mind. And in case you haven't noticed, Washington, they're like a termite and a yo-yo. They don't know which ends up. And we need to be encouraged today as people of faith that God's in charge and that the Lord will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And there's no greater encouragement that I have than to come in church and see you because then I'm not alone. I'm here with you, people of like faith. And for our Scripture text today, I want you to be ready in John chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 14, but if you'll have your finger uh, flipping through the pages, go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, and when I read over in John, then we're going to move right over to Acts 4. Let's read the Word of God together, and we'll see about this subject of encouragement. In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of faith, full of grace and truth. Now, you notice the Scripture says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then there's a a parenthesis there, a parenthetical phrase, a descriptive passage that they were able to see His glory and the glory as the only begotten of God the Father. And then this same Jesus, full of grace and truth. Now go to Acts 4 with me. For the sake of time, we'll condense our reading, and I'll begin reading in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Reading those two passages of Scripture, I want us to try to bring together the thought of encouragement out of the Word of God. We all realize that we have good days and we have bad days. Some days you get up and everything just seems to go wonderful. And other days you start out and realize it's not just as exactly wonderful. 
It's like when you start the K-cup machine and answer the phone and realize there's not a cup under the K-cup machine. I won't mention any names, but, but some days are just different from the very beginning, and days can be difficult, and circumstances can dictate what we're doing, and some circumstances are cutting and hurtful and almost unbearable. And then we make decisions in our lives and then the days and weeks that we live. And sometimes the decisions that we have made bring distress. We certainly didn't make them to bring distress, but the decision nevertheless produced a distress in our lives. Sometimes our relationships are fractured. Our friendships, people we love and trust, sometimes things happen and the relationships are torn. And sometimes you put all of those events together at different times in our lives and it can be a downright discouraging day or a discouraging week or a discouraging month. And depending on what you're walking through with your life and your circumstances, it can be a tough year that you might even have to live through because of physical problems, a health problem, a financial problem, your career problem, any number of things. And then in the middle of all that, you can have some days and nights that are absolutely so painful and hurtful that they almost take your breath away. And during the night, you've whispered more than one prayer for the Lord to let the sun come up and at least some sunshine come into the pain that you're having. In John 1.14, we find that God wanted me to be encouraged, and he wanted you to be encouraged. You say, well, where's the encouragement? Read it with me slowly. The Word, John 1.14, that's the Bible. This is what you've got in your hand. God said that I have left you a written testament, the Word, Old Testament, New Testament, and he said, and the Word became flesh. God's a spirit. God can't change. I can't see God. I can't shake hands with God. I know that over the temple and over the tabernacle, there was the presence of the Lord demonstrated with the Shekinah glory. I understand that visible reflection of his countenance and glory. But I cannot have fellowship with that glory like you could with walking with someone, talking with them, sharing a cup of coffee or having a meal or, or just sitting and, and explaining what you're thinking and what your fears are and what your doubts are and what your happy things are, the joy we have in friendship. And so what God said in his word, he said, and the word, the written Old Testament, New Testament became flesh. In other words, God allowed his son to become visible, the visible God, so I would understand the invisible God. That the things that I can't see, I can understand by studying the life of Christ. And so Jesus came and he became flesh. Wow, that's good news. That's wonderful because I would never understand God without the Lord Jesus Christ. And God being a spirit, he cannot change. But the word makes himself visible through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
by that, I'm able to see, I'm able to understand, and I can experience it. Hey, but that's not all the good news this Sunday morning. Not only did he become flesh, but he said, besides that, I'm going to live with you. And the word became flesh, and what does it read? Dwelt among us. For 33 and a half years, Jesus lived on this earth. He walked among us. He ate with the disciples. He talked with them. He rode the boat with them. They traveled together, and they understand the humanity. He was born in Bethlehem. And uh, this coming fall, when we take our trip to the Holy Land, we've done that over 55 times, and we've never done what we're going to do in the fall. We're going to get off the plane at Tel Aviv, and we're going to go to Bethlehem, and we're going to spend our very first night in Israel in Bethlehem. And when we wake up the next morning, we're not going to the Nativity uh, Square. We're not going to the Church of the Nativity. We're going to go to Shepherd's Field, and we're going to go to where Jesus was born. And we're going to start the trip with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Word became flesh, and then we're going to leave there and go to Nazareth Village where he grew up. We're going to follow the progressive life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Seeing Jesus in 2020. Because he's the answer. And what God did in John 1:14, he said, I want you to know that Jesus is me. When you see Jesus, you're seeing me. When Jesus talks, I'm talking. You say, but do we have three gods? No, we have one God, but he demonstrates himself in three distinct personalities. You see, when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he left and ascended back to heaven at the end of 33 and a half years, what did he say? He said, if I go away, I'll not leave you comfortless. He said, I'm going to send the sweet Holy Spirit. And so now we don't have to go to a tabernacle. Now we don't have to go to a temple. Now we are the tabernacle. He abides in us and we abide in him. And so now we've got that comfort today of knowing that we're never without the Lord. He lives within us, you that have believed. That's what we just read in the text. The multitude that believe. How complicated is that? To believe. Do you believe? That, that's, what he's, that's what he's pushing. He's trying to get you to understand. There was a multitude that believed. Now there were some that did not believe, but he's trying to get you to realize that this is not only life-changing, but it's eternity-changing. He wanted you to be encouraged that God was made flesh and he dwelt among us. And how was he going to make that happen? Well, we just read it there in John 1, 14. He's full of grace and truth, the truth of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, if you want to be encouraged, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you become an encourager and God will use you to encourage others. Now, look at Acts 4.31 with me again. Let's walk through this. And when they had prayed, the power of prayer, the presentation of prayer, it says the place was shaken. It says where they were assembled together. And here it comes, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They prayed and they assembled together. And then verse 32, that multitude, that multitude that believed. Look what the Word of God distinguishes them with. 
that they not only believe, but when they believe, there was a transformation after their belief. And the transformation was they became of one heart. One heart. That meant that their heart no longer belonged to them, it no longer belonged to the world, but their heart belonged to the Lord. They became of one heart. So they all had the same belief system. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They believed that He was the Lamb of God. They believed that He was the Redeemer, the Kinsman Redeemer. They believed that He was the Lamb sacrificed to take away their sin. So their heart was transformed into one heart, the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now here's what I'm fascinated with. I don't know of many passages in the Word of God that deal with this. But notice what he said. Not only were they of one heart, but now look what happens. They are of one soul. Now the soul deals with the emotions. The soul deals with what I feel. And so here God's saying, not only are you saved and not only are you a new creature, but now you're going to care about your friend. You're going to care about your fellow uh, believer around you. In other words, there's compassion and there's empathy and there's caring and there's encouragement. All of that comes out of the soulish man and the soul is dealt with. And God said, this is so powerful. Not only are you transfigured and we're made in one family and one faith, one belief, one baptism, the Lord Jesus Christ, but now our souls are united in that we love the Lord and we care about each other. And you see, the key is that they prayed for each other, they gave to each other, and they graced each other. And how did that happen? They encouraged each other. Now, the key to spiritual victory and to the power of life changed by Jesus is actually just one person, one sincere person, one person in love with Jesus. And you know you pass from death into life because you love the brethren. So you begin to care about other people. Now, quickly drop down to verse 36 with me. Verse 36 of Acts 4. And Joses, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, and there's another parenthetical phrase, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. And then he is also a Levite, and he's of the country of Cyprus. Okay? Now, uh, in some translations, you'll read that Joseph, as his proper name was Joseph. Joseph. But here's what I want you to pick up on. Uh, if I say the name Simon out of the Bible, what do you automatically think of next? Peter. Simon, and then his surname, Peter, right? And so this phrase says, and we know that uh, John had a different name, and a lot of people through the Bible had more than one of these relationships with their name. But notice what God points out here. He says that this man, Joseph, or Josie, he said that the disciples, the apostles, gave him a nickname. Does anybody here in the building have a nickname? Your family calls you? Some of them are embarrassing. Huh? That you got a nickname? Well, listen, this man Joseph, Josie, he was so unbelievably kind 
and gracious and such an encourager that the apostles gave him a nickname. And the nickname they gave him was Barnabas. Read it with me. Verse 36, it says the apostles, the apostles gave him that surname. Look what it says. Who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas? They gave him that. Now, uh, he's a Levite and he's from the country of Cyprus. Let's unpack this verse to help us understand and to be able to learn how to encourage. With his nickname Barnabas, we begin to see the B-A in Barnabas, B-A-R. In the Hebrew, if you take B-A-R, you can write it in the margin of your Bible, B-A-R equals son of, okay? So anytime you see that configuration in proper names, it's usually a reference to the son of, okay? And then Nabus, Nabus was actually a phrase, a grouping of words uh, in the Hebrew that was used to encourage or to exhort, okay? It was a, a, a thing that would be said over people or to people, a greeting, a salutation of encouragement. And it was also used to someone going through a hard place to build them up. Now, not only is his name the son of encouragement or the son of consolation, but he's a Levite. That means he's from the priestly tribe of, of Levi, and the priestly tribe is divided into two groups. And the tribe is divided into the priesthood, and then the Levites, the, those that worked in the temple and did the sacred music in the temple, okay? So there's a subset inside the tribe. And this is what we're pointed, it's pointed out to us that he was of that group. Well, you say, well, then Pastor Ralph, how on earth could he be from the island of Cyprus? That's the largest island in the Mediterranean. So how did, how did Barnabas, Joseph, Josie, how did he end up on this beautiful island of Cyprus? Well, uh, historians tell us that a lot of Jews lived on this island, and the reason they lived there because it was sort of a modern-day utopia 2,000 years ago. The island was known not only for its beautiful climate and its Mediterranean healthy diet, but it had the, some of the best olive trees and produced the best olives and olive oil in the world. Matter of fact, if you go with us to the Holy Land and we're in the Garden of Gethsemane and we're seeing olive trees that are over 2,000 years old, they're standing there and they will tell you the only other place on earth that has olive trees that old is Cyprus. And there's some on Cyprus that are 2,400 years old, 2,500 years old. And so they were known for the beautiful olive trees and beautiful olive oil. But then they were also known for the wine of the island of Cyprus. It was a great place for the growing of grapes, and they produced some of the best wine in the world. Now, I don't know anything about wine. Pastor Donnie does. I don't know. But, uh, but he told me that that's good stuff that comes off Cyprus, okay? And so that is uh, uh, one of the notable things of the island of Cyprus. And then 
they were not only noted for their olive oil and their production there of grapes and wine, but the island of Cyprus was known for producing some of the best sheep in the world with the finest wool because of the climate and able to control the predators on the, uh, off the sheep, their wool was fine. And the other one that amazed me was the honey that was produced. There were so many beehives to use with the, all the trees and all the fruiting plants that they produced some of the sweetest honey that was known in that part of the Mediterranean. Now, so it was a land of prosperity, and these Jews lived there. Now think about this. This is a great place. This is a beautiful place, and it is a great place to live. And this man, Barnabas, with his wealth and money, and we know it because he was one that's helping finance, okay? He leaves the island, and he goes to where the need is. He takes his wealth and prosperity, and he says, God's given me this, and I'm going to take it to where there's a need. Now you say, well, what's the need? Well, the need was at Pentecost when the power of God fell, there were Jews there from all around the world. And they did not go home. They stayed to be instructed and taught. What the whole city of Jerusalem turned into was a big camp meeting. Literally, they were camping out. They didn't go back to their country. They couldn't eat. They didn't know how to, where they're going to sleep. And it took the charity and the open, kind heart of people that had the ability to give money to finance them. Now, I've heard people misuse this. I heard a fellow in Chicago take verse 32 and try to prove communism and socialism was the only way to live. And here's what he read. He said, And the multitude of them that believed were out of one heart and one soul. Neither of them said that they ought of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common. And he said the ultimate way to live is a communistic or socialistic lifestyle. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's jelly beans. It doesn't work. The Bible's already taught us earlier that if you're going to have some bread to eat, you've got to work for it, and you've got to labor, and you're going to live by the sweat of your brow. And capitalism is the way you do that. That's the way you work hard. You get ahead. You get a promotion. You become an entrepreneur. You get your own business. And that's what Barnabas did. He worked hard. He had his investments there on Cyprus, and he comes to Jerusalem to help. He can't help anybody if he's waiting for somebody to give him money. Hello? Right? So it's a beautiful illustration of what needs to be accomplished. And ladies and gentlemen, when you study the Word of God, you have to always rightly divide it. You have to put it in the text. It has to be in the context of not only the Scripture, but of the time and for the era for which it was written that you would fully be able to understand it. And so all these people are now under the power of God. They're staying in Jerusalem to be taught. They are going to go back home. They are going to go back to their families and their farms and their businesses. But they've got to eat while they're taught by the apostles. And God moved on the hearts of the believers there they said, if I've got money, I only got money because God gave me the money. If I've got a camel, it's because God gave me the camel. If I've got a house, it's because God gave me the house. And I'm going to share it and I'm going to use it because these men and these women are going to take the gospel back to their country. 
And it was a missions project on a magnitude that we've never can dream about. 3,000 got saved in one single day. And they had to be fed, they had to be housed. And that's why God moved on them. And it says in verse 33, great power and also great grace was upon them. And so we see that God used this Levite. He was one that was trained in the temple. He was from the island of Cyprus. And he was known for his encouraging ways. He was the son of consolation. On June the 18th, 1956, there was a freak accident on a beautiful lake in New York State. Some folks out riding their boat in the summertime, enjoying it. The boat got up to 45, 50 miles an hour, and it crossed the wake of another boat. And when it did, it flipped. It pitched the boat. And the driver didn't realize at the exact moment it happened, but it threw two people out of his boat. They were ejected, went into the water. A 50-year-old man and a little girl, four or five years old. By the time he comes down over the wake, gets control of the boat, begins to hear the noise behind him, he turns around and realizes two of the people in the boat have been thrown out. He then has to slow the boat down, then he has to turn around, make an arc, and go back to look for them. And if you're, now you're looking for a head in the water between the wakes and the waves, takes a moment, a few minutes to find them, and you're making this big arc to turn the boat, and he goes back to look for them. So in the several minutes that they're in the water, the dad, this, this man, 50 years old, he, uh, he's not the dad of this uh, uh, little girl, but he is a father. He's taking this little girl, and he's doing what we, uh, you've seen some people do in life-saving, is that you go underwater, you, and you buoyancy, then you push up. And he, the little girl couldn't swim, and so he kept lifting her up. And to do that, he had to go underwater. And so he would push her up, and when he did, then he went underwater. And then his buoyancy, he would come back up, grab a breath, and then he would push her up. He would lift her up so that she could keep breathing. And by the time the boat turned around in the cold lake water of New York State, they got back, they rescued the little girl, but on his last push-up, he had been gulping water every time trying to get her up. And the man drowned, and his life was lost. That man was Dawson Trotman. And Dawson Trotman was the founder of the Navigators, an international discipleship ministry. Pastor Jerry Payne was here at 815 Church. When he got saved, he was in the United States Navy. And the first thing my dad got him to do was to go through navigators on board the ship and the little memory cards learning the scriptures. And Jerry carried those in his pocket and learned scriptures to change his life through the word of God. Time magazine wrote about Mr. Trotman, the founder of the navigators, the caption on Time Magazine was, he lived to save others. And someone else wrote in his obituary, he died the way he lived, always lifting someone up. My, 
What a legacy. If I died today or you died today, would your legacy be that you are always lifting someone up? Would you be known as a person that encouraged? Or would you be remembered for your caustic words, your criticism, always finding that the glass is half empty instead of half full? Barnabas was known for this consolation. He was known for this encouragement. And as the church was growing there in Jerusalem, they intentionally sent Barnabas to the new churches to encourage them. He had that gift. He was an encourager. And we don't realize it, but we can strengthen our marriage with encouragement. We We can help our children with encouragement. We can bless our friends with encouragement. You go home today and you've got Sunday dinner and there's five or six dishes there on the table that your wife has fixed, gentlemen, and one of them is not up to par. My counsel to you <laughs> is that you brag on the four that are home runs and don't mention the one that's not up to par. Be an encourager. And just look at her and say, honey, that's the best can of pork and beans you ever opened for me. I love these beans. You be an encourager. It'll keep you off the couch. I'm helping you now. Do you understand that we don't realize the power of words? And, 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 you know, I read a report about some psychologists that worked with children, and they did an experiment two different weeks, same group of kids, 7 to 10 years of age. And, and you know what they were talking about? They were talking about the power of encouraging words and on the children and how it improved their studies, their work quality, and that their energy level was up. And they took pictures of their face, their countenance was improved. And you know what else they found out? The week that they did discouraging words, that their countenance changed and their productivity went down. The power and energy of negative words. You see, and what God said, I've got Barnabas in the Bible for a reason. Barnabas is not here just to fill up space. And let me help you with something. We just, you know, we're working our way through Acts. We're in chapter 17. We just came through 15. Do you remember what happened in 15 about Paul, Silas, John Mark? Barnabas, you remember? And and this great, learned, intellectual, the godfather of the new church, Paul the Apostle, he comes up and John Mark wants to go with them and him and Barnabas, and guess what Paul says? I don't want him to go. I don't want to. He quit when we were over there near Asia, said he quit on us. Said, I don't want him quitting on this journey. And and Paul, as great and wonderful as he was, you know what he did? He didn't want John Mark to go with him. He he pushed him away. And guess what Barnabas did? The son of consolation, the encourager. Guess what old Barnabas did? Barnabas said, well, I tell you what, Paul, I love you, but I see some good in John Mark. I'm going to stay with John Mark. 
I'm going to stay with him or I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to make sure that he doesn't come under this trial. He, yeah, he disappointed us. Yes, he did quit. But you know what? I don't think God's through with him. This is about 50, 52 A.D., right? And Barnabas makes this decision. I'm not going to give up on John Mark. I'm going to encourage him. And 12, 14 years later, uh, about 64 A.D., we have in your Bible the book of Mark. Huh? And that Mark is the same John Mark that Paul didn't want to go with him. But it's the one that Barnabas said, I'm not giving up on him. I believe God's going to use him. God's got his hand on him. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to help him along life's journey. And Barnabas encouraged John Mark. And read the book of Mark. You know what it's all about? It's all about, what's the key word out of the book of Mark? It's servanthood. We're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that you got all of the genealogy in Matthew, but you come to Mark and there's no genealogy? No. Why? Because Mark says, I'm just a servant. I don't have a genealogy. I was a nobody till somebody came by and changed my life and changed my circumstances and picked me up and turned my life around and gave me hope and sent me Barnabas to encourage me, a type of the Holy Spirit. There's no genealogy in the book of Mark. It's all about being a servant, being changed by the power of God. And here we sit this Sunday morning, and boy, has God changed us? Has God turned our life around? Have we been blessed by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Were we slaves on the slave block of sin? And Jesus came by and paid the price that we could be set free. Now we're servants of the Most High God. And now we have that encouragement of the sweet Holy Spirit. You see, God used and Barnabas to change John Mark's life. And then he became a great leader of the church. Be a Barnabas. Be an encourager. That word encourage in the Greek, it's a Greek word, parakilo. And that word actually means to come alongside. It actually means to comfort. It means to console. It means to hold up or to strengthen. And you know what? God may use you to comfort somebody this week, to console somebody, to come along beside somebody. And you guess what? And God will come alongside you while you're helping someone else. I've told you more than once, an old preacher told me, I hadn't been preaching maybe 18 months, and he said, Ralph, we were having a meal together down in South Carolina, and he said, Ralph, he said, you in the ministry are going to have some days you can't explain. You'll have some days of discouragement. You may have some days of doubt. You may have some days of sickness, bereavement, heartache. And he said, on those days when you can't seem to find God and you're hurting, he said, you go look for somebody else that's hurting. And while you're helping them, you'll turn around and find out God's right there helping you because he loves it when we encourage each other. I challenge you today that 2020 will be your year of encouragement. 
that you encourage someone. Tell your husband, I love you. I want to encourage you. Tell your wife. Tell your children. Tell, tell your parents. I promise you it'll change our church. It'll change our lives. And we'll be able to, to be what God wants us to be, a Barnabas, an encourager, a son and a daughter of consolation, the word of God. Father, bless the reading of your word. Bless the teaching of your word. May it go bring you praise, glory, and honor that you loved us, you saved us. God, if there's one here that doesn't know you in the free pardon of sin, I pray this will be the day of their salvation, that they'll want to know this same Jesus. With our heads bowed and our hearts tender, is there one that say, Pastor Ralph, I don't have that assurance. If I died right now or if Jesus were to come, I'm not saved or I'm not sure I'm saved. No one's looking except me. But would you just slip that hand up so I know how to pray for you? I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me, Pastor Ralph. Just slip that hand up anywhere in the building. If you're watching on the internet, listening on the radio, and you're not sure of your soul's salvation, today's the day. You can call the church office, area code 828-254-2187. Someone will get back in touch with you and give you the word of God. You can pray right where you are today. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. How many Christians here in the auditorium today would say, Brother Ralph, I'm saved. I'm trying to serve the Lord. But I, I want to be an encourager. God spoke to my heart. Would you lift your hand up with mine today? My multitude of hands. Father, bless our church family. Strengthen us. Unite us in plan and purpose for a vision for 2020 that we can see Jesus in all that we do by being an encourager. In Christ's lovely name, amen and amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when he speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, 
I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.